Good evening, dummies. Yes, I said dummies. Please don't take offense. The dummies are the don't unfriend me's. It's an acronym, and it is nothing offensive. It is all good in the hood. Episode 281 tonight, 43,000 likes and over 57,000 followers. Don't unfriend me is a hit, and I appreciate all your support. Please like, share, and follow, and all that stuff for me. My name is Matthew Spear. I am your hostess with the mostess. And I'm going to walk you through tonight what we're going to talk about. What is it tonight? Well, Joe Biden said some things. He is the gaffe machine. We know he is. But this was on the world stage, and it obviously weakens America. I'm going to walk you through it. Remember, you can find me at Don't Unfriend Me Show on all podcasts, social media. You can go to don'tunfriendme.com and follow me. Get a t-shirt, all that stuff. Okay, that's enough. Remember, you can skip to these minutes right here if you want to get to the show. But for now, I'm going to show you a cool song and an intro. I hope you enjoy it. I will be right back. Navy veteran Matt Spear presents Don't Unfriend Me. Brutally honest. Experience matters. Facts, not feelings. To the point. And always direct. No safe spaces. You can agree or disagree. You can love him. You can hate him. Just don't unfriend him. Sit back. Relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. Well, thank you for joining yet again. It's good to have you in the house Let's get started with, you're a real Ukraine in the neck, pal. I was never a strong advocate of backdoor politics. I believe that a healthy relationship begins with honesty and direct communication. But on the world stage, Robert McNamara said it best in the movie 13 Days. Quote, this is not a blockade. This is a language a new vocabulary, the likes of which the world has never seen. This is President Kennedy communicating with Secretary Khrushchev. Every time a leader speaks, it is a prelude to war or the language that stems one from happening. There is no gray area. There is only intention and perception. This hopefully is processed with intent of a positive perspective or the whole world turns to shit. The whole concept of waiting for the situation to unfold has been some of the largest mistakes in our history, from the Nazi blitzkrieg into France to Pearl Harbor to 9-11. Waiting is the mother of all screw-ups, and the first to speak sets the pace, the rules, and most importantly, the world's perceptions. Surprise is the greatest weapon in battle, and on the field, and in the eyes of world opinion. Remove the surprise and you allow the world to process and anticipate the outcome before it happens. Let me give you an example. In the world of human resources, there is a common saying that is hidden from the associate's purview. This saying is not wildly known outside of the halls of human resources because it isn't exactly something they want you to know. If you are ever in a situation that requires HR oversight at your job, a conflict with a customer, an argument with a fellow employee, a bad boss, no matter what, the first person to HR wins. Now, this isn't always so, and sometimes you may just be the problem that needs to exit the premises, but for most times, this premise is accurate. Why? 
Well, the simple reason is the first time you hear something, we have a tendency to try and qualify and quantify what our first introduction to the issue is or was. The moment we are presented with the facts, or at least the facts from one person's point of view, we begin to formulate judgments and paths of investigation within our minds. If you get there first, your biases are established immediately and you either believe or discount the tale. Most of the time, this is all that's needed. The person who comes seeking help will find it, and the ones who don't are hiding from something. And it may seem contrived and unfair, but ask any HR partner who doesn't work for your company, and they will more than likely admit that this is true. So why the lesson in the world of HR? Well, these lessons are transferable to the world stage as well. America should always be first. The first to address atrocities, tragedies, moments that live in the timeline for longer than a few fleeting moments. Could you imagine if Lincoln would never have stepped to the makeshift pulpit and delivered the address at Gettysburg? What if George Bush didn't arrive at Ground Zero to address the world stage with his words of clear and direct policy towards the perpetrators of the horrific 9-11 attack? What if Kennedy didn't have faith in Adlai Stevenson to address and quash the lies of the Soviets during the UN assembly in front of the world? We all can see where this is going, and more importantly, we can all play out these scenarios in our own minds. But what if something else took place other than vacancy or a failure to address these issues? What if the message was altered or we had a reactionary strategy rather than a first-to-speak strategy? What if Lincoln would have waited to deliver the address? What if his security had simply shielded him away from the battlefield and declared that another time or place would have been better? There was concern over security and the safety of Lincoln then. And what if the words fell on deaf ears days later? What if conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal was heard by one or two fewer people who influenced change? or wrote about the address with fervor and resolve. What if? How about if George Bush stood somewhere else on that fateful day on 9-11? Of course, he would advise not to go there that day and to even wear something darker than what was presented, something stronger than a tan windbreaker. What if he told people to stay home and lock their doors, that America was defeated, or that our resolve had been shattered? What if? And lastly, what if Kennedy removed Adelaide Stevenson with some younger, less respected junior ambassador to the UN? What if the photos of the missiles in Cuba were released earlier that were released earlier so the Soviet ambassador had time to prepare or alter world perception by being able to speak first? What if? All of this and more can be applied to monumental times in our history, and a person could go mad wondering if we would even be where we are today if it wasn't for the Gettysburg Address. And would we even know about 9-11 or the Cuban Missile Crisis? Because one modicum of change could have cataclysmic results. You get the point. And I will leave the pondering and the pontificating to your mind's eye and Hollywood to uncover. But today may have been the day that we look back and say, what if? Did President Joe Biden just tell Russian President Vladimir Putin that it might be okay to launch a minor incursion into the Ukraine? Russia will be held accountable. 
if it invades. And it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, et cetera. But if they actually do what they're capable of doing with the force amassed on the border, it is going to be a disaster for Russia if they further engage you. I wanted to follow up briefly on a question asked by uh, Bloomberg. You said that Russia would be held accountable if it invades, and it depends on what it does. Are you saying that a minor incursion by Russia into Ukrainian territory would not lead to the sanctions that you have threatened, or are you effectively giving Putin permission to make a small incursion into the country? <laughs> Good question. Um, so it did sound like, didn't it? The most important thing to do, big nations can't bluff, number one. Number two, the idea that we would do anything to split NATO, which would be a, have a profound impact on one of, I think, profound impact on one of Putin's objectives to weaken NATO, would be a big mistake. Toward the end of his nearly two-hour news conference late Wednesday afternoon, Biden was asked why sanctioning Putin for invading Ukraine would work given that previous sanctions haven't had much effect on Russian behavior. At first, Biden gave a by-the-book response. Because he's never seen sanctions like the ones I've promised, he replied. Russia will be held accountable if it invades. But then, Biden said that precisely how Putin will be held accountable depends on what he does if he mounts a minor incursion. Biden said, as you heard, there are differences within NATO about what countries are willing to do. If it's a major invasion, there will be severe costs and significant harm for Russia and the Russian economy. So was Biden saying Russia might not incur severe costs and significant harm if Putin mounts merely a minor incursion? And what is a minor incursion? Just another salami slice of eastern Ukraine beyond Russia's 2014 incursion in the Donbass province and its annexation of Crimea, just a helicopter landing in the capital, just a few airstrikes, what? White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki rushed to the rescue with a clarifying statement an hour after the news conference ended, saying, President Biden has been clear with the Russian president. If any Russian military forces move across the Ukrainian border, that's a renewed invasion, and it will be met with a swift, severe, and united response from the United States and our allies. Good work. But as the entire world already noticed, that's not what Biden said at all, or it is what he said at one point during the news conference, but not at another point. Sucky then created her own round of confusion with what her statement went on to say. President Biden also knows from long experience that the Russians have an extensive playbook of aggression short of military action, including cyber attacks and paramilitary attacks. And he affirmed today that those acts of Russian aggression will be met with a decisive, reciprocal, and united response. What does she mean by reciprocal? That the U.S. and NATO will match cyber attacks with cyber attacks? paramilitary tactics with paramilitary tactics, and by extension, an invasion with a counter-invasion. U.S. and NATO officials have said nothing of the sort. They've made clear that they will not respond with U.S. or NATO troops. They haven't until now distinguished between one sort of aggressive act or another. And Saki should have stopped with swift, severe, and united response. Does it matter? 
Had Putin altered his calculus had he decided against aggression until Biden uttered that one sentence? At which point the scale of costs and benefits tipped in favor of going to war? It's doubtful. Putin is a true Marxist-Leninist and will probably evaluate the balance of forces on what he sees as an objective basis. A stray remark during a two-hour press conference might be of minor consequence. But it does let the world know that the United States is indecisive, feckless, and second to respond as a reactionary country. We are no longer first to act, first to respond, and first to send a clear message to our enemies. Vladimir Zelensky wrote the following. We want to remind the great powers there are no minor incursions and small nations, just as there are no minor casualties and little grief from the loss of loved ones. I say this as the president of a great power. If Russia is poised to attack Ukraine, it won't happen the way we can predict it. Putin thrives on unpredictability and chaos that creates opportunities to act and minimum responsibility for his actions. He does not have a chess-like checkmate in 15 moves strategy, more like he will try to shake in the whole chessboard to kick the pieces off their current positions, and then he will try to make two to three moves before the game is reset. Putin is a short-term chaos pilot. Judging from experience, he probably has lots of alternate short-term scenarios that can be executed on short notice, which are tailored to destabilize, confuse, take the upper hand, and with more or less positive net outcome for himself. Neighboring countries cannot discourage him. He will attack if the predicted advantages of taking action are most probable to be favorable compared to keeping the conflict frozen. Most importantly, praise from the Russian nationalists, which can take some of the COVID fever off. Attack is also a wrong description. Destabilize to gain opportunities is more accurate. When or whether he will attack anything will be decided by him and the brass on short notice. It will depend on both the internal and external political situation, which is always fluid. Monday, it may be out of the question. Wednesday, something happens and suddenly... It's a good idea. He makes his move, but there may be some execution problems, and Thursday is too late. So he shelves the whole thing indefinitely. The latest Ukrainian claims of coup attempt might be such an event. Something was supposed to happen, but then Putin put brakes on it for some reason. Russia spy agencies dismiss claims of the Ukrainian invasion plan. The Moscow Times, the U.S., is painting a frightening picture of Russian takes crushing Ukrainian cities. The SVR said this in a rare statement. But the interesting thing is, is it political or is this an invasion? It's not like the USA's foreign adventures. You can see, hear, and smell them coming several months in advance and even predict where they will set down their boots and when, if at all. Our battle plans are PDF sheets with beautiful high-res graphics and they'll be leaked to the New York Times and Guardian a few hours before the strike with some embargo on them until morning or something else. It does not matter, though, because the modern Roman army will trample all over you anyway, so the best you can do is get out of their way and play guerrilla afterwards and hope they get fed up and leave after two decades. Cloaks and daggers? No. Modern Russian doctrine does not work that way. The timing will be unexpected. 
perhaps after Russia or separatists start to pull back or after he allows the Ukrainian military to take the upper hand to create a false sense of security. And or maybe the attack will start in an unexpected little guarded place. Most probably the Russian high command will make it look like it's an uncertain that an incursion is going to take place at all at first. A smokescreen on confusing reports about who started what will flood the media and social media. Maybe there will be some false flag action at first on Russian territory. No doubt some private contractors will be enraged, most probably some jamming of air routes that will inhibit navigational systems of military and civilian aircraft alike, and there will be a lot of finger-pointing. Several days, weeks after the initial dust settles, we will have a clearer idea of what really was going on. Little to nothing can be done, so no one can really do anything. The world is subject to his whims. Generally, EU could lift Crimea sanctions and try to ease tensions. He will appreciate it, but he might find out he wants to make Ukraine pay anyway. No one really knows for sure what will happen one way or another. The best we can do is to be prepared for anything. That in itself might be discouraging. But here's something to think about. Since 2014, Russia kept invading Ukraine in the mainstream media. Any day now, any minute now, the Russian military buildup is because Putin wants something. And he got what he wanted, a chat with Biden about Ukraine not joining NATO and becoming a threat to Russia. The threat of economic sanctions is not a real threat. Europe could end up in the cold without Russian gas. Also, Russia can simply sell its resources to the ever-hungry China. Invading Ukraine doesn't make sense. What for? There is this problem with Nord Stream 2, which is nearly completed. If the pipe bypasses Ukraine, which is controlled by the U.S. after the Euromaidan, then American grip on Europe loosens just a bit. The EU, even though an American project, was supposed to be and stay a vassal of the U.S., not gain prominence and become an economic rival. Also, the EU doesn't have any enemies, militarily speaking. It's a fucking trading block. Nobody wants to attack it. Everybody wants to trade with it, as it has lucrative internal market. And the various weapons manufacturers don't have a gripe on European politics. Current Russian forces stationed next to the border are a counterattack force, not an invasion force. So it serves two purposes. One is to flex Russian muscles, because Putin needs to have a word with the West, and the West won't listen otherwise. See Kim Jong, what's his name? Whenever he wanted to talk to the U.S., he'd launch a few missiles over Japan, and he would get a seat. The second purpose is that if the West somehow pushes Ukraine into becoming cannon fodder and attacking Russia, claiming that Russia attacked first, or whatever... Once they cross the border, they'll be met with a meat grinder. The U.S. already stated they will not get involved militarily. Not out in the open, anyway. It'll be a proxy involvement. Other individual European countries don't stand a chance against Russia, and they stand a very faint chance if they unite. But their military interoperational capability is very limited because they speak different languages, have different weapon systems, and belong to different countries, which may not necessarily have the same interest. So, we're dealing with a bit of a chest pounding from both sides, Russia and the U.S. and the EU, that has nothing to do with it, really. But that's pretty much it. The current Ukrainian president doesn't seem to be an idiot or suicidal, but he seems pushed from behind by something to seek a confrontation with Russia. But you can see on him he doesn't want it. Highest probability is nothing will happen, 
And in a couple of years, we'll be reading again how Russia will invade the Ukraine. And there's nothing new there. But in the art of diplomacy and deterrence, this is not what a president should say publicly, especially as the moment of truth nears. More importantly, he should never count on predictability when it comes to Vladimir Putin, and allowing him to go to HR first is a very, very big mistake. We'll soon find out if it was a big one or not. Folks, that's it for my show tonight. Thank you for listening. It was a long one. It's a big topic. I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, come back tomorrow. Maybe it'll be different for 282. Do me a favor, if you would not mind, share, like, subscribe. Don'tunfriendme.com is the site. You can find me at Don't Unfriend Me Show on all social media and on podcasts. Please give me a follow and a like and share. I would appreciate it. Remember, I am on 8.30 Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Friday. Tomorrow's a live show. I will see you then. But first, before we go, I'll go out like I always do with the Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255-PRESS-1. 22 veterans are committing suicide a day. It is too many. They need your help. Traumatic brain injury, PTS, anxiety, depression are all real. Veterans need someone to talk to. If you can't talk to them, reach out to me. I'll make that call with you. Or you can go to donutunfriendly.com, click on the VCL link at the top right, and be connected to an operator free of charge. It's 100% confidential. Nobody will find out. And remember, if you're not a veteran, they also will help citizens. It doesn't matter if you served or not. They are a great place. Give them a call. Once again, thank you to Stillpoint for providing me the music to my show. Thank you for the dummies, the Don't Unfriend Me's, for watching. I'll be back tomorrow. I'll stay on a little bit live for a few minutes. God bless. Have a good night, and I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>